Lewis Hamilton secures another victory to close the gap in the championship battle. Fernando Alonso is back on the podium for the first time since 2014, and Ferrari have all but secured P3 in the constructors. All this and more on this Qatar Grand Prix review of the Racing Line podcast. another episode of the racing line podcast boys how are we going tonight very really good, good really good good to hear guys tonight we're going to be reviewing um the latest formula one race that took place this morning uh, at the LaSalle circuit in qatar uh just a very quick review for those of you who might not have watched the race um lewis hamilton um led from start to finish uh, max verstappen came back from seventh on the grid due to a five place grid penalty um, for passing under the yellows in, in um, qualifying to come home in second. And F- Fernando Alonso had an awesome race for um, for Alpine to finish in third. So what a great race by, by Nando. Um, the race up front for first and second was, you know, pretty static the whole way through. Um, Lewis could very easily or very easily made a gap on, on Verstappen and was able to maintain the gap the whole way through. Um, and probably was able to turn down the engine as well. Such was the dominance of himself and the car. Um, you know, Max kind of did everything he could um, to minimize the damage from the race. He got the fastest lap of the race to get 19 points um, and keeps his season or keeps his championship, you know, lead. And then Alonso probably had a, a fairly quiet race. He made all his moves in the first two laps or so, uh, which was awesome to see. Um and then was able to maintain that third place all the way throughout. He was kind of followed by Lando Norris for most of the race, um, but the McLaren could really not do a whole lot to, to make any inroads on him. And then Norris um, pitted towards the end um, for another set of tyres because he was worried about um, about puncturing. He had, a, he had a slight puncture, apparently. Yeah, it seems like it was a slow bleed. Sergio mm. Perez probably overtook 30 people during this race, it seems, but managed to come home in fourth and, you know, did the team a solid in relation to the Constructors' Championship. Ocon um, finished in fifth to double down on the good day for um, Alpine. And then we saw Captain Stroll come home in sixth, followed by Saints and Leclerc in the Ferraris, who were a little bit less dominant this week uh, in relation to the midfield battle. We spoke about Norris finishing in ninth and then Sebastian Vettel, closed out the top 10. Um, if you're wondering what happened with Valtteri Bottas, um, he had a puncture, it seemed, with, what, 15 or 20 laps to go, um, running the hard tyre for too long. Uh, th- no, sorry, he, he had the puncture on lap 33 because he um, you know, was running the tyre for three laps longer than Pirelli suggested. And then we also saw punctures for the two Williams as well. So... Um, Botas, I don't remember what position he started in, boys, but he seemed to drop to 13th after the first lap. Spent the rest of the race kind of making his way back up to fifth, I'm pretty sure, before he had the puncture. So the midfield was, you know, a more interesting race than than the race for the top. But, um, you know, what were your initial thoughts on on last night's proceedings? Um, I was pretty annoyed at McLaren's performance in regard to Daniel. Um, 
But then watching some of the uh, stuff that they've put on social media this morning and listening to some team radio, uh, apparently there was a, a fuel sensor reading that had gone wrong. I don't know if you guys saw saw the news that came out. So McLaren thought that um, the car was using a lot more fuel than they actually had in the tank. So he went into fuel saving mode. So at one point he was he was catching after his first pit stop, he was catching whoever it was in front of him. I think it was Vettel. Um, and then all of a sudden he started dropping back, you know, two seconds per lap. And that was because McLaren on their sensors, it was saying he was dropping a ridiculous amount of fuel. Um, so I think his weekend was jeopardized by that because he made his way up through the, on his first stint, he was actually quite quick. Mm. Um, he managed to, you know, hang on the back of Leclerc, seemed to be making his way through, um, which would have been good for the constructors for McLaren. Um, Gasly was pretty disappointing. Um, starting on the front row, finishing 11th. I think that was, you know, regardless of what happened during the race, that car should have had enough pace with him at the wheel to maintain at least the top 10 position. Um, it seemed early in the race that he was doing fairly well, to be honest with you, Gasly. Yeah. So I don't know where the pace went. Um, Sunoda was nowhere again. Um, but that car does seem to be very good at quali. Um and they have had races where they've been in no man's land and he's, he's stayed in fourth or fifth position. But generally this year, I think they have managed to, you know, qualify quite well and then drop back during the race. And as we saw last year when Daniel was at um, Renault, the Alpine, just they, some, they sometimes just find these weekends where they put it all together and just get an awesome result. Um, you know, the fact that Ocon was fifth, I think he was, two cars within the top five for Alpine is amazing. You know, they had the result at Hungary earlier in the year, but that was kind of because everyone in the front um, crashed. Yeah, so, they, looked, they looked pacey this weekend. Yeah. Whether it was, whether it was just the, like a perfect cocktail of the type of corners that we saw at the track, but they really looked racy. Mm. And, and I mean, Alonso is always fairly good at being aggressive in the overtakes on the opening lap. And with the speed of the car, over the course of the race and then also his own um, desire to, to make moves at the beginning of the race. It was, you know, a really good event for the whole team. I have to say. Uh, I loved his team radio. Tell Esteban to defend like a lion. That, that, that was the best for me. I loved it. Um, yeah. I just love the fact that Nando's back, back on the podium after, I think his last one I said was 2014 when he was still at Ferrari. So yeah. um, long time coming for Nando, but yeah. It's interesting. We were talking about how he should move, make way last week to let Piastri in. Um, and then, I mean, if you look at how many positions he's made up on opening laps this season, I'm pretty sure he's number one still. Hmm. Um, it's him the cut, and Raikkonen. The, and uh, Vettel, I'm pretty sure. Him, Vettel, then Raikkonen. Yeah, so they're, they're kind of leading the way in that regard. And it's probably because they're qualifying. Their car's not as competitive. Hmm. But... That kind, of, that race that we saw today, I think, goes to show why there's still credence for Alpine to at least give give the guy one more year in a car that they hope is a lot more competitive. Because regardless of his age, he still doesn't lack any of the tenacity that he's shown um, throughout his career. Yep, I think tear up Ocon's contract, give it to Piastri, and. Piastri and Fernando as the team moving forward. That's what I reckon. Well, Ocon actually delivered the goods today, so it's probably the wrong day to say it. Yeah, he's like Stroll, though, once every 10 races, you know? 
Ethan Stroll, when I finally give up on him last week, he, the peer pressure gets to me, then he has a good result. <laughs> one every ten. One every ten. I thought it was a, I thought it was an interesting race in terms of the um, the midfield battle because I didn't see the top three midfield cars being Alpine, um, Aston Martin, then Alpine. That's for sure. Especially after we've been speaking about Ferrari, and I don't know if Ferrari was just um, making sure they covered off McLaren because that's their real battle. I mean, it would be what it would be wise to. But um, it was it, I was very interested in that, and also the for, for like for the first time this year, we've really seen a sort of change up in the pit stops paying dividends, like something that was against the norm. Um, that one stop strategy, which really worked in in Alpine's favor. But one thing I really found, well, not found, one thing that I was interesting is that, that that's a that's a really weird track and real interesting track to make passes on. Like I, I would say it is a, a very a average, very average track, to be honest. I, mean, I agree. A lot of like weird sweepy bends and not really many bends where you can sort of take a there's like maybe only two corners where you can really have a have a good crack. Um, and I, I think considering it's a new track, I think it's just a real missed opportunity for F1. Like you, I know you're trying to take the the races to the fans, but I think the fans deserve, you know, a better better amphitheater to see that see these battles wage than just that track. I, I thought it was really, I just didn't like. It. I thought it was really um, below average, to be honest. Well, it's the but point it's, that we it's were. It's a raising. bit of a theme with these new tracks, and it's the ones that... in the Middle East, especially. Yeah. It's a point that we were raising earlier, Harry, off, offline, and probably can spend a bit of time um, jumping into it right now since the point's been raised. But I guess the question has to be asked, is Formula One, I mean, obviously Formula One wants to expand its audience. It wants to make money from having as many races as possible. It seems to be a fairly um, lucrative, an, unambiguous, you know, model that they're following try to get as many races as they can in the schedule but are they i mean yes they're bringing races to the fans but the majority of the of the money that comes from formula one isn't from fans at the track it's from fans that are watching on 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 tv so is formula one you know trying too hard to pack as many races in the schedule um but are they you know are we going and seeing too many tracks that aren't providing you know, good racing for the fans. I mean, the most interesting part of this race, if we're going to be honest, was the tyre blowouts. Apart from that, we saw a lot of passing from Sergio Perez. We saw a fair bit of passing from Botas because they were out of position. Um, but if that wasn't the case, if the cars weren't line of stern, it would have been a, a much less entertaining race. Let's be honest about that. And uh, we, we can obviously talk about Jeddah next week. There's been a few other tracks. I mean, I'm just trying to think of of some of the newer tracks that we're racing at that don't really provide much spectacle. Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Um, Sochi. We've spoke about Sochi as well. I mean, the most interesting part of Sochi was the last five laps if the rain. We're getting all of these tracks that lack any character that don't really... I think one thing that we can probably talk about is maybe the fact that the tracks that these designers are coming up with don't really suit the characteristics of the cars that are being raced, whether it be because they're having to fit them around the geographic locations of a street circuit, or they're trying to make them fast. 
um, but I don't think it's actually providing great racing. So I don't know, how do you guys feel about, about that? But personally, I think it's actually diluting the spectacle of Formula One. And maybe there's just too many races, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I don't think it has anything to do with the number of races, to be honest. Like my, my whole thing is, is, is the, just the general design of the track. I mean, I don't really fancy the Baku circuit in terms of a, in terms of like the the layout or the spectacle. But one thing it does, it does encourage a lot of of passing, and that probably has to do with the um the shape of the corners, like a lot of ninety degree corners, a lot of a lot of straight with a lot down, of breaking good, zones. Yeah, um, and and that encourages passing. But this track is 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 literally just like a one sweet bend after another after another. Then they throw in a through a few narrow hairpins, not even narrow hairpins, but like the narrow bankers, and they're not wide enough to really get uh, another car to run beside you. Um, and I watched, I watched a few onboards just to make sure that what I was seeing was true. I was like, is this actually a a boring track for overtaking? And I watched a few onboards. Like, yeah, it is. Like, I'm hundred percent right. That's that's what I was feeling. Um, I I don't think it has anything to do with the number of races. I just think it's to do with the actual design of the layout i don't think people are... but if you've got the 20 if you've got a 22 race season and half of the races are train circuits not even street circuits because you can have a good street circuit spectacle as well but if you've got tracks that don't facilitate much racing and the season is longer but the, the quality of the races aren't necessarily better then for the sake of just having a race i don't think it actually does anything to the spectacle of formula one well, um, one thing, sorry, go Harry. I was just going to say, I love Baku. Um, there's something about that track that I absolutely love. But I also think, in perspective, I think we have been spoiled this year. The racing has races. been the racing has been a lot better than previous years. Um, I think my biggest gripe is some of the tracks we do go to, Abu Dhabi, um, you know, this morning's track, all that kind of stuff. We're missing out on tracks like Kailami, Sepang, Hockenheim, you know, Nürburgring, all these amazing tracks around the world. That And we're going to, you know, those sterile ones that have been designed in the last 10 years with safety in mind. And I know that's important and everything, but they haven't got the character of the older tracks. That's yeah. my biggest gripe. But all those oil tracks money, you mentioned. Oil money talks. Let's start with that. All your money talks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I was thinking, you know, how do we make these tracks that are fairly boring a little bit more interesting, right? Because that's the reality is we're not going to be moving away from, from mm. these tracks. So how do we make them a little bit more conducive to, you know, not more carnage, but a little bit more excitement? And I think it's fairly easy to begin with. Like we've got so much runoff on these tracks. They're putting all these bloody bumpy curbs whatever they call them sausage curbs vibration curbs i don't know what they are and it's wrecking you know it's, it's trying to keep cars off them but what if we had between the track and then that kilometer of runoff that these tracks have what if we had two meters of astroturf yeah i, I so think look car... at um we, we were at eastern creek on the weekend boys and we mm. saw you know turn one if you went a little bit wide you were on the grass and you were you were spinning out or you were kicking up dirt the everywhere like I know Eastern Creek's not the best track in the world, but for the excitement factor, that definitely improves it. Yeah. And it makes it, it makes it so much. I mean, 
even just watching today's race, how many times did we see cars going one and a half meters off the over the ripple strip onto the second ripple strip? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it, it's getting ridiculous. And if you can push that hard without really, with the worst thing being, you know, a broken spoiler, worst case scenario, and it's not really going to happen, um, then it, it means you're never going to be able to have that, that 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 distinguishing factor between those guys that are pushing 10 tests, you know, on a, on a slightly more dangerous track and those that aren't. Um, so I think that's one thing that could definitely be done. But then also, I don't know if the fans have any, like we obviously don't finance the racing and there's a lot of <laughs> money coming into these bloody tracks. But, um, you know, it's, it's a really, it's interesting. And I think, Next week, we'll probably have a fairly similar conversation. I mean, watching the onboards at Jeddah of the Jeddah circuit, I'm not looking forward to that race a whole lot. The thing that interests me is hopefully that with the amount of flat stick that that track facilitates, hopefully we get a bit of DRSing, a bit of slipstreaming, but there's really only two real braking zones on the whole track. And even still, one of those braking zones is one of those breaking zones should definitely be an overtaking opportunity, but the second one um, isn't. And, you know, is Formula One with the DRS and the, and the people that are designing these new tracks trying to facilitate, and I'm saying facilitate a lot tonight, funnily enough, but are they trying to, you know, make overtaking occur with the DRS or should they be focusing more on trying to get overtaking to occur you know, into the slower corners, which traditionally has been, you know, how we do it in racing in general. Any thoughts think, on that, Joey? I think one thing that we have to remember as well in, is um, like next year, the whole philosophy of the car changes. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how that changes the way that these cars or the cars can attack different tracks. Um, the only thing I'm sort of disappointed is, is that it sort of has given us a bit of a sterile uh, third last race to the season where everything's sort of heating up in terms of the championship and we're not actually seeing um any racing on track anymore yeah tracks that sort of facilitate that kind of high stakes on track um but i mean there's only what two races left now of this this era of car so in terms of these tracks it's going to be interesting to see what next year can do the whole philosophy of the car changes with overtaking in mind so, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're designing these tracks with DRS in mind, like you're, what you're saying. Um, maybe they know more than us in terms of what tracks next year's cars can actually compete on. I mean, that's definitely possible. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll leave my judgment till next year, but yeah, I just didn't think that this track in particular facilitated any real... Uh, wasn't conducive for overtaking except if except if you're in a car that was definitely faster than the one in front of you you know what i mean yeah yeah it's so interesting like we're just talking offline and we're kind of looking at all these other tracks around the world that we're not racing at that seem a lot better in relation to creating a spectacle and obviously we're never going to get as a fans we're never going to get the benefit of of those tracks just because of the the money that's being made in formula one but i mean we obviously have to wait and wait and see for what next year's formula brings um there's obviously going to be less downforce being generated the cars are going to be a little bit slower hopefully that 
um, you know, means that there should be a little bit more chance to overtake as, you know, cars have to go slower through the, um, through some corners. Um, but obviously we'll just have to wait and see on that. Um, Joe, you just brought up the point of the championship battle as it stands now. Um, Hamilton over the last three races has slowly clawed his way back into the championship contention. There's eight points now between Verstappen and Hamilton, which means that if Hamilton's able to win the next race uh, and get the fastest lap, and I think early estimations would say that that's a very real possibility with the characteristics of the circuit, then we've got a tiebreaker going into the championship finale, which is, which is awesome for the championship. Um, I think the, the only real negative is like, as you said before, Joe, you know, nothing's happening on track, but the championship's getting closer. It doesn't feel like a championship bout right now. It doesn't feel like the two drivers are, you know, throwing, you know, haymakers. Last week we saw it with the um, Verstappen, Verstappen escorting Hamilton off the track. But if, any, if, if anything, that just proves how, you know, dire he, he even felt the situation was in being able to compete with the Mercedes at that particular circuit. So H, H with, you know, two races to go, where do you see this um this championship heading? Uh, I said it last week. I think Lewis has got it. Um, re, uh, traditionally, they're quite strong at Abu Dhabi as well. Mm. I think Red Bull won last year, but the previous five or six years, it was a totally Mercedes track between Hamilton and Rosberg. Um, like you said, Jeddah seems the characteristics of the track definitely suit the Mercedes. And quietly confident that McLaren may be quite strong here, looking at, you know, the layout of that and comparing it to a track like Monza. I don't know if the car's fallen off that far, um, but it definitely will suit the cars with the Mercedes power unit in the back. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Max is a good enough driver that he'll be taking Lewis all the way to the end as well. And Red Bull keeps saying this damage limitation. Um, if Max comes in second, then it's all to play for. I think the most interesting thing for me personally with this upcoming race isn't so much who's going to win. I'm pretty sure that it's going to be a Hamilton win. Mm -hmm. But what keeps what keeps surprising me is um, Botas's inability to steal points from Red Bull. And I think this, like Joe, like you can shake your head and and uh, you know maybe it's rightly so, but this particular this week in particular, how easy it was for Hamilton to to win that race, let's be honest, it was fairly comfortable. Um, I mean, Botas didn't start in the best position in the race, but by the, he started, I think, top five or top six. By the end of the first lap, he was in 13th. And from that point, I mean, with the level of competition that is now in the midfield, there was always going to be a tough ask. And what we keep seeing is someone, I mean, Mercedes really need him to be able to steal a point or two off. They've needed him to steal a point or two off um, of Verstappen for the last couple of race meets and he hasn't done it once um, and we've seen on the other hand um, Checo being able to steal a few points maybe not too many but a few points off, off, of, of Hamilton and that might be you know the difference in the championship so my biggest question going into this weekend is can Botas finally deliver I mean even now with the lackluster season that he's had if he's able to steal two points off Verstappen and come second in, the, in this race that's going to be a huge um, morale boost for Mercedes then leading going into the last race of the championship. 
And I think with the Constructors' Championship also closing up now to four points with two races to go, um, even though it might seem might not seem like it on track, um, the, the championship is really heading up um, just from a, you know, a fiscal point of view with the, with the, um, the way that the, the tallies are right now. I don't really want to blame Botas for this race because he had a really unfortunate race, I'd say. But um, like, I think they ran him too long of those tyres and that's a, that's a mistake on the whole team. I was really inter- I'm just been really interested. He, he 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 did lose five or six points off the start, but placed it off the start. That's got to be on him. Yeah, but in general, like you, you don't was, you, can't, you say, all right, he lost five or six places, but he was coming back, and he was then 13th, Joe. Yeah, did he start then, on the dirty side of the grid though? Because that I'll, I'll, everyone that started on the dirty side of the grid had shitty starts. Yeah, but. I mean, at the very least, if you lose two spots, like I can, that's racing, but six spots. He's also, he's losing to people that are behind him on the dirty side of the grid as well. One thing I was thinking about was the, um, was the left side tire blowouts. Mm. I, I was thinking, I wonder if it has anything to do with the cars running over the curb and then coming back. Surely. Because there's it was, it was always, there's always that side, like maybe it was a curb that had a sharp, it has a sharp outside, so when you cross it, then come back, it was it was causing some ripping. Um, which, in terms of when you're saying well, there's, these tracks have no consequences, <laughs> that's a pretty big consequence for running wide. But I, th- I thought it was weird. Like, what was it? There was Botas had it. The two Williams had it. Um, Norris. Norris had it. Was it five cars? Did Vettel have one? No, no I don't think so. It was about four or five cars that had the um. Hmm. Front left side tire punctures. So that that was, I think, something that the that the organisers would have had, would have had to have a look at. But yeah, I think I think um, I think what's his um, Botas said it best at the end of the race. They said, um, "What do you think of your race today?" He said, "Oh, just another normal day at the, off- at the mm-hmm. office." <laughs> well, you know, what I think talking about talking about the tires, and obviously this track is. If you were to take like sector two of Silverstone, that puts all the load through the tires on that circuit. This track is pretty much made up of corners like that. And when we go to um, Jeddah next weekend, there's a lot of lateral movement in the in those corners as well. A lot of high speed, um, mid, you know, speed corners. So I would be interested to see what tires Pirelli allocated to take. However, what six months ago it was now. But is there any chance that we see some kind of tyre issues again next weekend, potentially with the just the load that's going to be going through tyres at that track? It, mate, I, I'm, I'm worried the cars aren't going to be able to stay on the track considering they're still laying asphalt. So um, I think <laughs> that that's going to be the be best the big... thing for the championship, really. Like that might actually make some interesting racing like we saw at um, well, Turkey last year. Well, we saw, Lewis, we saw Lewis take that one out, so... If he stays true to form, I think he may run away with it this weekend or next weekend. But Mm. um, yeah, I think that's my biggest issue. Like, depending on what compound they take, are the cars going to be able to stay pointing forwards? Well, it should be interesting. Um, Mm. At this stage, I think we kind of need something like that because. Mm. Guys, if you haven't, if you're listening to the podcast and you haven't seen the 
seen the layout of the track yet, jump onto YouTube, just look up um, Saudi Arabia F1 track on board and you can watch the, I think it's from the F1 game, it might be from a simulator, but it gives a Lewis Hamilton on board of the track and just try to visualize where the overtaking mm. points will be on the track. Because you, I mean, like, I've watched it a few times now. I think there's two at the best. Um, there's two at, at the best. Probably one of them is good. The other one's not so good. But I don't know. I think we need something like that. And then uh, uh, with with the championship being as it is, I think we go to Abu Dhabi and and that kind of becomes, you know, a real catalyst for the championship if we go in, if we go in tie. So that makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, moving on to something else. Ferrari, for the first time in a while, seemed like they were um, succumbed, like they didn't seem as competitive as they were normally. I mean, obviously, we spoke about um, Gasly and Toro Rosso a little bit earlier on, uh, and they obviously didn't, or they didn't capitalise on the speed of their car, it seemed, you know, in the in the finishing positions of the race. But that car seemed fairly strong. Um in qualifying and then early in the race. And I don't know if they were just caught out with the strategy. I think they went, did they go two stop strategy for the Alpha Tauri or one? Yeah, two stop. I think a lot of the, I think the two stop strategy was probably the better strategy, but with the um, Latifi virtual safety car, mm. we kind of lost a few laps for those guys to actually, you know, make up time. I think we saw with Lando as well, he was really catching up to the Ferraris and then lost three laps of, you know, soft tires against old hards and that kind of affected him getting past them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was fairly similar with um, Gasly as well. Sonoda well, didn't have a great race, but I feel like he was, he it was a little bit more competitive this week and then the last couple of weekends. So I was actually um, impressed with that. He, he, he still doesn't have the quality of those people that he's racing against. I think it's fairly obvious to see. Um, he's tenacious in the sense that he wants to fight. He wants to kind of be difficult for guys to get past. Um, but I just don't think that he's got the the level of, you know, or the depth of understanding that some of those other drivers have that he's racing against right now. But hey, what are your opinions on, or what were your takeaways from Ferrari's race? Um, and were you surprised as well? Uh, yeah, so Ferrari claimed that Leclerc's pace during qualifying was due to a cracked chassis, changed his chassis, and then his pace didn't really improve all that much during the race. Mm. Yep. Um, which says to me that he may have had similar issues to Daniel where he wasn't able to extract the pace out of the car as much as his teammate. Um, Carlos has been looking strong. Second half of the season, he's been on fire. I would say he's the better driver of the two out of those two. He's been more consistent. Um Carlos has he's had a really good year. I think he this is the first year of his career where everyone stood back and you know we've always thought he's had potential, but this year everyone's gone okay. This guy, this guy's a potential world champion now. Um, if if given the right car, yep. um, I don't know if that's just me. If I've always just underrated him, but yeah, that's how I'm looking at him at the moment. The interesting thing that I keep seeing from Ferraris, regardless of whether they're strong or not, what those mm-hmm. two drivers are able to do. When they're doing well, they're both finishing line astern, fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth, whatever it might be. But even this week when they were struggling a little bit more, they still finished line astern, seventh and eighth. So I still think that the team as a whole 
are maximizing their finishing position. And I think the fact that they're finishing so close together probably suggests that they're both extracting like the potential from the car. It wasn't like, um, you know, Leclerc was, you know, a few positions down on him like that. I feel like they're both extracting the best from the car and they're maximizing, you know, the race results. And I think for them, even though they had a fairly lackluster race weekend, um, had Lando was, you know, finished in fourth, they probably would have been a little bit disappointed with, you know, what he was able to do. And they obviously would have lost some points in the championship. But at the end of the day, Lando pitted, got caught out with the virtual safety car and he finished in ninth and they finished in seventh and eighth. So they're still able to eke out a little bit more of a championship lead. And at this stage, um, unless they have some catastrophic, you know, failures to finish the year, um, third in the championship has got to be all but tied up now. We, you know, one's got to assume. So, yep. you know, damage limitation for Ferrari uh, and the fact that they had a, you know, fairly, um, you know, nothing to write home about weekend and were still able to pull out more of a lead from McLaren is, is a good thing for them. And it kind of shows that their, their continued strong form moving into 2022. Um, you've just sent us your... Um, what's it called? Our rankings. Your rankings for this week. Yep. Do you so want obviously this is our rankings. This is um, we take it. We're taking the last few races into account. Um, yep. Same as what we did last week. I'm just getting it up on my screen. I just wanted to before we start on this talk about Yuki. Yeah. He has he's improved. Um, in the second half of the season. The good thing about Yuki is he's he's getting used to Formula One now, and I wish Michael was here because he's he's a big Yuki fanboy. But um, We've also starting off the fact that Michael's away. Yeah, well, he's not here, guys. So he's he's very very busy. Um, so he'll be joining us again next week. But um, I think um, the good thing about Yuki is he will, you know, everyone's on a level playing field next year. So he's had the year to settle into Formula One, and I think he'll use that experience next year to hopefully hit the ground running and challenge Gasly a little bit more. I don't know what you think. What I'm actually interested in seeing next year is before we go into these power rankings, we've got mm. these drivers that have, have recently come into Formula One and they're probably still getting used to the levels of downforce that a Formula One car has. And we've also got some, you know, more veteran drivers that have been racing, you know, with this particular formula for the better part of 10 years now. So what's going to be interesting to me is when we've got a new formula next year that is, you know, lower in downforce, do we kind of see a little bit of a, um, a mix up in the in the running of the team or in the running of the running order of the championship? I mean, obviously that doesn't take into consideration just the, level of quality of some of those veteran mm. drivers and maybe I'm, you know, speaking completely out of turn, but I just think that might be interesting to see how some of those newer drivers that are, you know, a little bit more acclimatized to lower downforce formulas, if they're able to um, bridge the gap in some regards next year. Could be George Russell, number one driver at Mercedes. He's only been yeah. out of for formula two for what, three years now. No, it's four years, isn't it, at Mercedes? So you're on mute, mate. No, nah, three, three years, three years. So he started in uh, 19. Mm, okay. 
Yeah. So it'll be yeah, next George, year will be his fourth year. I think George Russell will um pedal anything fairly well, to be honest. I don't know. I don't think it matters. You love George. I, I do. I, I rate him. I rate him highly, so it'll be good to see how he goes next he's, year. He's just so vanilla. No, I think he's I think he's the opposite of Joe, you gotta defend your man here, mate. I'm trying to um I'm trying to make sure you can't hear Elmer in the background. That's all. That's uh, all right. I don't think George has to prove anything. I think he's proven everything he can with that car. I think he's gone above and beyond the call of duty freely for Williams. And um, I'm just interested to see him next year push something that, you know, actually has some, you know, something behind it. You know, here's a, here's a, a state-of-the-art team, state-of-the-art teammate. And um, next year, I think he's really going to, be a, a wake-up growing moment for him. I, I don't expect him to beat Hamilton next year, but I would love to see it. But um, I think next year will be sort of like a feeling out period for what it is to race with the big boys and then boom. The I, after. I foresee a Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel kind of situation. He'll come in and, and absolutely, absolutely put Hamilton to bed. I think if he gets... If he, if he gets the handle on that car, which we've seen him drive, he jumped into it last year and should have won the race. Um, and I know the different cars and everything, but the guy's shown that he can just jump into something and drive it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not doubting his driving ability. I just think he's How boring. interesting would it what, be? If what he part comes, of him is vanilla? Just everything about him. His like, personality. And he's from yeah. Britain. Yeah, and he's from Britain. Oh, I don't think you've seen enough of his personality because you're not looking at it. There was one. Video, there was one video I saw of him last year when he was talking with um, Norris and Albon, Albon about who was the who was the um, better rookie driver. I think it was, and um, I think you think Stroll really eh? funny. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just think he's actually a very funny bloke. You just you don't what see will, it that much. Yeah, what yeah. would be interesting is next year when he does join Hamilton, if he is able to smoke him, and when we say smoke, we just mean. Yeah, convincingly better. You know, I'll be interested to see if that's the case because if it is, then it obviously means that Hamilton, for all his dominance, wasn't extracting the maximum potential from the car. So then, what does it say about him? But then also, and I don't think that's the case. I think if we look at Hamilton in the like last few races, as much as it pains me to say, he's been all like the last two races. He's been awesome. He's done everything that he needs to do. He probably got a little bit unlucky even this weekend to get the fastest lap just because the virtual safety car came out when mm. it did. But um, I think it will be an awesome battle to see next year. And I think he should beat Hamilton. He's younger. He's got a lot more to prove. Um, and I think the fact that he's going up against debatably, you know, one of the best races in F1 history, let's say the third best in F1 history, um, you know, gives him a good, gives him a good measuring stick. Um, yeah, so I think that'll be an interesting thing to see. 100%, I agree. But what, how do we, why don't we go into those power rankings now, mate? You can tell us what you were thinking. Um, so I'll just go. I was looking when I did these from Mexico. So Mexico, Brazil, and Qatar. Yeah. Hamilton has to be number one. Verstappen has, you know, been consistently second. Mm. Perez, I've got third. Um, he's finished either third or fourth in the last three races. So um, I've got him there. Then I've got Science in fourth. Then Leclerc. Um, then I've got Alonso. So if you look at the last three races, he's finished within the top 10 
Um, and the previous two in Mexico and Qatar, Ocon wasn't in the top 10. So he's extracting the most out of that car. Um, Gasly, only because of his qualifying performance. Um, I know he's had a couple of good races, but today his race pace was off. But I think um, that dropped him down a few few places, his race pace today. Vettel has just been consistently in that kind of 8th to 10th position in the last few races. Um, Bottas, again, only there because he's driving a Merc and he's able to eke out those results when he when he's coming through the field, barely. And then looking at the rest of the field, it was hard. Like, I don't think Norris really deserved 10th. Yeah. But then you look at the rest of the field and you think no one else deserves it either. Um, so just by default, I think he's finished ninth and 10th in the last three races. So Lando is in 10th. I think what your power ranking has shown, I think also what the power ranking did show last week as well, is that for all the um, good things we were saying about McLaren early in the season, that team has really come off the boil. Now, Mm -hmm. it could very well be due to the fact that they, I mean, it's been fairly well documented that right now they're, I wouldn't say that they're in the strongest financial position. So maybe they just have to be prudent in the fact that they're working on developing the 2022 car and they're not going to deviate from that plan, obviously, so that they are as competitive as they can moving into the new era. There might be something to be said also for the fact that a lot of their development tokens are needed to go into the engine. That might have affected their overall package. I don't know if that can be really stated considering that they started the season so well. Um, But they really have come off the boil. And I think when you look at how well, I don't know, I want to see Alpine over the next two races to see if they've actually developed this car a little bit more. But Alpine have looked much stronger. I think Toro Rosso have looked really strong the last few uh, not Toro, so what are they called now? Alpha, Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri have looked a lot stronger the last few weekends as well. Um, and as we've seen with the midfield, if you are just, you know, a little bit off or a little bit underdeveloped, um, you know, you're going to struggle. And Daniel's continued to struggle with qualifying. He's always been a few tenths off on average Norris this year. And and that that few tenths now is is seeing him, you know, three to four positions, even five positions below Norris, which is putting him, you know, ninth to thirteenth, which is um, a lot has to be said for. I think I think it's a little bit harsh for Norris that we consider that he came ninth because he was comfortably in fourth, got the slow tire bleed or tire puncture, and then had to pit. Um, but he was, you know, that would have been another fourth place finish for this season, and you know, another. 16 points to his championship, which, you know, really could have reminded us or reminded us in the second half of the season of what he's been able to achieve this year. I think they could come good. Um, Joey, you're on mute again, mate. Sorry, H. <laughs> That's right. I think they'll, I think they'll have a good performance in Jeddah. I just have a feeling, but yeah, Joey, what do you think? Do you think, um, do you think McLaren has just sort of, said all right that's all the develop the, the developing we're going to do this year and have just cut it at that yeah. and because it because they're safe in fourth and um like they're sort of like uh, we're happy with that happy to take that paycheck and we're happy to sort of start developing on next year's car i think that's part of it but i also think that they were so dominant in third 
I say dominant, but they were obviously still behind Mercedes and Red Bull. But they were so comfortable in third in the first half of the season that they probably very quickly said, hey, this car's pretty good. We can comfortably consolidate third in the championship and move on to the 2022 car. Then obviously they had a few ordinary races after the winter break. And when they've come back, Ferrari has, after those ordinary races, Ferrari has all of a sudden turned it on. And I think they're in a position now where the dramatic improvement from Ferrari is something they weren't expecting, but also there's not enough turnaround time for them to develop the car further to try to, it's not really worth them trying to develop their car further. They just need to maximize um, what they're going to be able to achieve this year, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think they didn't foresee Ferrari being that strong. I think they also probably wouldn't have foreseen their drivers making as many mistakes in the second half of the season, just with how consistent McLaren has probably been over the last 24 months in relation to maximizing opportunities and limiting mistakes. Um, and we, I keep coming back to it, but had Lando Norris finished, you know, made the decision in, in, um, in Russia to come into the pits and pit with everyone else. And then the two mistakes that obviously were had in the last couple of races with Ricardo and, Norris, that team's still very much in the battle for third. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. I do think I do think that they they have they have shot themselves in the foot at the wrong time of the year as well. Right when it sort of got to the serious end, they haven't helped themselves just as much as Ferrari have turned it on. Hmm. I, That's uh, definitely for sure. I think they're um, I think they have turned to twenty twenty two. Yeah, and I'm hoping that car comes out and it's battling for wins week in week out, not so track specific like it has been. And I don't, to be honest with you, I'm not really that disappointed if they have done that. Hmm. Um, I mean, just as a fan thinking about the long, look, thinking about how dramatic when we thought it, when we think about the turbo hybrid era and how dominant Mercedes were at the start, I'm hoping that a lot of teams. Um, have kind of realized the importance of getting the jump early um, and, and are able to try to maximize the, the resources that they have to make 2022 as competitive as possible. I think that's the case. I hope it's the case as well. Bill Williams is in the same sort of boat because they went through a phase where they were scoring points, you know, obviously nines and tenths, but they were scoring more points than they have in the last four years. But then all of a sudden they've gone off the boil as well. So I'm hoping they've focused a lot on 2022 and their car comes out and they're you know battling in that midfield not the not the back end at least you know showing think, some more potential i think williams will also just maximize the um probably their best days over the last four years in terms of hmm. the, the wet race in spa and then what was the other one it was the other rain race that was cancelled where was it oh was where the race that was cancelled what was, the, what was the other wet race that um that Russia? Russia? Yeah, Russia. So they 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 maximize their points in the races where they probably shouldn't have had points. There's a lot of accidents in that race as well. Um, I think regardless of their maximized races, Williams have nothing but positives to take from 2022. If you from look where at where they were two years ago and how yeah. uncompetitive they were to what they've been able to produce. Now, yeah, George Russell's an awesome driver, but even Latifi has looked a lot more competitive in that car. And they've come back to a point where they've got all their systems in place moving into 2022 as well. 
So again, if they're able to maximize the resources that they have at their disposal, and they've been smart in you know developing this car as early as possible, then they really, I mean, obviously they're going to lose um, Russell George. and that's going to be huge for them. I can't, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head who's what drivers are going there next year. Albon. Albon. So that's going to be an interesting thing in and of itself. But if they're able to get a jump on the development of that car, then I'm actually quietly confident in that team. I think they've, what they've been able to turn around in the last two years is eerily similar to Mercedes. Um, if you and look at, if you look at where they are in the, in the constructors, well, I would, I would say they have no right to be anywhere above it, but they have definitely a right to be where they are. Mm, 100%, 100%. What do you guys think of Haas, considering they've, they came out the start of the year, we're not touching this car, there's going to be no development, we're concentrating on 2022. What do you think they got, they're going to come out with next year? The only thing that I worry about with Haas at this stage is they've had two years really now where they haven't even been trying to be competitive. Hmm. Um, and if and if they haven't been, like, regardless of whether they've been developing the car or not, you see, like, a team like McLaren, for example, even last year, they were putting parts on their car in, in practice that were trying to simulate the next generation car, right? And there's even though it's such a different iteration, there's surely going to be some level of carry through of understanding of aerodynamics that can be implemented in the new car. So I'm really unsure on Haas. I don't know if like we, I've said this before, you know, in different contexts, but are they going to be match fit going into 2022? That's the only thing that I'm concerned about. And the problem is for a team like that, where they're already questioning whether or not they want to stay in formula one, um, I don't know. Another bad season is not going to be good for them. It's not going to be good for the sport. Hopefully, what next year does bring is with the rule change, at the very least, if they aren't as competitive, they're closer to everyone else. And I hope that's the case for a lot more teams, even if they're not, quote unquote, you know, in the, the top three teams, let's say. Hopefully that they're at least competitive where they, on their day, they can maximise a points finish and things like that. Because I think when what we see with them, Right now, it's very similar to what where Williams were in a couple of years time, a couple of years ago, and they were just kind of filling mm. out the grid. So, I hope that they're able to um, improve. Uh, and you know, they're only a few years removed from doing some pretty awesome things in Formula One on a very limited budget. So, hopefully, they can get back to that. Is it is it just me, or has um, Mazepin seemed to mature a little bit over the last couple of races? Yeah, I think so. He's had to. Oh, I'm, I'm, I definitely think he had to, but I'm sort of surprised that he's not the head, like in the headlines anymore for all the wrong reasons. I mean, the team doesn't need any more negative press, I suppose. But um, especially because he's because we know he's staying till next year for next year as well, uh, and we know that he's he's not the worst driver in the world. Like I, I would, I would like to see him actually do something somewhat not special, but just I don't know the bare minimum of why he should you know, be there. You know what I think is interesting about Mazepin, and it's probably something that we don't talk about or consider enough with young drivers in general, right? You've got to think he was not the best driver in F two, but he did have his days and he was competitive. Then all of a sudden, you thrust him into a situation where they're a rookie. 
He's racing against another rookie and he's trying to prove himself in Formula One. And, he's, and he comes into the season and he's probably pushing too hard. He's making silly mistakes. It's compounded by pushing again to try to make up for the mistake and making more mistakes, right? And I think that's what we saw early in the year. What we are forgetting also, and I'm not maybe not forgetting, but Yuki Sonoda has done a fairly similar thing this year, right? Um, and I think it's been well documented. Max Verstappen, when he came into Formula One, we forget how many mistakes this guy made. Verstappen. He made so many mistakes early on. And it's just because they're pushing the boundaries. They're trying to, I don't know if they're trying to make his name for themselves or they are just, you know, young, eager, probably a little bit naive. And they're just trying to maximize every scenario and push, you know, to the 10th degree every, all the time. But the fact that he has matured over the second half of the season is a good thing. And moving in, you know, moving into next year, what I would like to see, because if anything, he's probably had a slight advantage on even Michael Schumacher or Mick Schumacher in the second half of this season. Um, so what I would like to see next year is once they've both had a year's worth of experience, can we see them, you know, against each other for a whole season and and then make a more genuine comparison between the, you know, the quality of those two drivers? Because that could be an interesting side battle as well for 2022. Yeah, well, we've, we've seen Mick takes a year to settle into a category. So, yeah, it'll be interesting well. to see next year. He's almost like, even Mick, not Mick, even Joey Mawson was saying it when he mm. when we interviewed him. He's saying, as a driver, he's kind of nowhere his first year. And it was the case in F4. It was the case in F3 and F2 as well, where the first year he kind of just doesn't do a whole lot you know, and then it's really the second year that he matures, um, which is, you know, interesting, but he kind of does it like clockwork too. So that will be an interesting 2022 battle, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Um, we're almost hitting 45 minutes. So next week we've got Jeddah. I think um, we've got a lot of potential talking points for that race. I mean, whether, you know, we're hoping that the that the racing is good, but at the very least, we've got a very different type of track, which would give us a few things to talk about. And next also, week and the weekend after, and after well, the, the week after. Sorry, so it gives them a bit more time to lay and roll that asphalt. That, um, asphalt. Imagine, imagine if they go Abu Dhabi and then they have to go back to Jeddah. That that surely couldn't be a what if they right? swap them? Yeah, oh, could that I be think, a decision? Is that legitimate? I, mean, I don't know. I mean. They would have to make the decision within the next, if they're moving the circus now, mm. they'd have to make the decision in the next day or two. But I don't think that uh, Abu Dhabi is too far from Saudi Arabia. Um, but that's interesting. Um, but I think it's going to give us a few interesting things to talk about. And obviously by then we'll have a very clear picture of what the scenarios are going to be going into final race of the championship. Can, you know, can Botas really do something to assist the team and then more importantly we haven't had any real um like yorker games recently we haven't had any unexpected results um over the last couple of races so does the new asphalt you know throw a curveball do we get i don't know if we will but do we get weather um do we see Mercedes or mclaren with their car that seems to be really good on low downforce circuits can they throw a curveball in does ferrari with their new engine, does that do anything as well? Um, 
so yeah there's a few interesting things to talk about next week and let's just hope and pray um that we've got an interesting um an interesting championship upcoming uh interesting final two races upcoming now for anyone that's watching next week we've also got our preview of the Bathurst 1000 so we're going to be talking obviously we don't have any formula one to talk about so we're going to review the last month of supercars racing um, at Eastern Creek we've got obviously a little bit of first-hand experience after going to the race last week we'll talk about um, Shane Van Gisbergen clinching the championship before the final race um, but then most importantly we hope to preview the um, great race as well next week and kind of maybe even give a few of our own odds for a team's chances of, of, of taking home the Peter Brock trophy. So how do we feel about that, boys? It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Forward to it. Getting back into the V8s, it's great. It's good. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a good place to be right now. Can we get other shirt next week, T? Yeah, I might come out with the black after Cam Waters' great race on Saturday night. So, guys, thanks for your time. Everyone else, thanks so much for listening. Um, please keep liking and sharing on the socials. It's good to see that we had a few of the friends of the pod um, share some of our socials over the weekend with Aaron Cameron and Joey Mawson. We might even talk about them a little bit next weekend and how they were able to go in the last race and then moving into Bathurst as well. But yeah, please keep liking and sharing on the socials. Keep spreading the word. And men, we'll talk again next Monday night. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, T. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. Have a good night. Take care.